Well, hey you, hello there Every person everywhere Hello again everybody, this is Lynn I'm the host of Every Person Everywhere And this is stuff that you can relate to So, this next episode is going to be a bit about Getting lost in the city And experiencing life in a massive city by yourself with a tour guide that is still struggling to communicate in your language. So the question of the day that I'm going to have all of you bear in mind is what was it like one of the first times that you faced communication barrier? How did you overcome it? What kind of things helped you enrich each other's lives through your conversation? after you were able to work around that communication barrier. And if you weren't able to reach around the communication barrier to touch the other side successfully, what could have you done differently? So on the second day in Germany, we went to Lake Tittesee. And it was there that we paddled boats along the lake. We enjoyed some small market stalls along the lake. We had tons more sweets and food that we probably shouldn't have, but we were on vacation, so it was okay, right? And we also got to go ride an alpine roller coaster, which basically meant a tube and a steel tube that carried you from one end of the bigger tube to the other in a small tube. It was terrifying and beautiful, and I loved it. So those were the brief highlights of the day, is getting to witness the Germanic Alpine roller coasters, which basically is just a giant downhill slope of a track that takes you from one side of a mountain to the other. There are several of these scattered across Central Europe that are very, very one way. However, there are just as many that return you to the beginning of the track, which is the one that we wrote for simplicity's sake. Now, to get there and back again, we actually had to haul our own Uh, pod that we rode in and we had to escort it along obviously with the help of some stagehands but apparently this tradition would stem back to when they used to hollow out logs and ride logs down a giant metal tube for fun so yes some of the earliest roller coasters that still exist didn't involve brakes at all or fancy anything it involved a spatula of some giant sort to stop yourself from moving too fast if you had to, a giant tube for lumber, and some logs, and the boredom of some lumber workers that just wanted to have a good time. So I learned about that, and honestly, I kind of wish that I could have done it the way they did, which is just sit straddling a log and hope for the best and hope you don't fall off. Obviously, it's since been largely discontinued because of people falling and getting injured, but I digress. What's the worst that could happen, right? Well, if the tube is snug along the mountain face, nothing. But if it's elevated and travels across a ravine, as many of them ultimately did, then bad things could end up happening, which is exactly what happened. So that was a fun second day just exploring different things in the surrounding area and having fun and just being teenagers, basically. Making friends with the girls and boys on the club. A couple of people have established their summer fling by this point in time. I was very introverted and awkward, so I did not. But 
doesn't mean I didn't enjoy myself. I absorbed everything to the fullest capacity I believe I possibly could have. So why did I mention communication barrier? Well, because on the third day we went to a gymnasium and the kids there were ages eight to 13, give or take, and the high school was right next door. So those that succeeded on would soldier a couple of footsteps to the nearest building and reattend in the latter of the year. Because as well, most European schools have school, mostly year round, even if it's just a short term during the summer, which was, I believe, the case at this school, there was still the expectation that you'd be off for two months and then you'd go back to school. You'd be off for two months and go back to school. Or some facsimile thereof. We no sooner get inside the school and we meet the teacher. He's got this bushy gray haircut. He's got glasses. He's disturbingly tall. I'd say probably at least a good... 190 centimeters tall it feels like so nearing seven feet in stature easily and he was the only real fluent speaker there when he greeted us that morning at 7 30 in the morning for our breakfast which the students had prepared for us now why was he the only fluent speaker because as part of their graduation in the fifth grade or the equivalent of that in germany is they had to deliver a tour of a part of Freiburg of their choosing and deliver a tour in English. And part of their grade came from our feedback, which was very daunting because we did not know this until after we all got back together at the school around 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And we were asked individually... How did our tour group do? Is there anything that sucked? What could they improve upon? And obviously, I'm not one to slander a 10-year-old who's trying her best to learn broken English. Um, I could tell that Lena and I believe Tori were their names, or maybe Vicky. I could tell that between them, they maybe had a first-grade level of comprehension of English. So the communication barrier of the day was they were delivering a tour... They had to speak English. They had no intention of really going to English university or leaving Germany at that point. So they didn't really pursue any strenuous studies of English because they were so used to just speaking German, which was fine because two of the seven in my little tour grouplet spoke very decent German. So they had the same kind of understanding of barriers. I spoke Spanish, but at this point in time, the closest I had to a language cultural difference barrier for me, because I was very diligent with learning languages, was the lady I mentioned earlier in Italy where I had to convey to her when the concert started, and maybe using it as the middle language between me and two local Italians. Otherwise, I didn't have too much struggle. Not to this degree, anyhow. So we went up into the fields, into the woods scoped around they explained some of the history of the woods there and how they still use it as one of their biggest lumber mills in the area we looked at a tower and walked up the tower which was very loosely held together by bolts and nuts alone and very terrifying and we looked at the surrounding area and saw freiburg which was about a 10-15 minute drive down the audubon from where we were and so after we got done that outskirts of town tour the part of town we went to next Involved a lot of shopping, a lot of glitzy ramminess. Definitely not glitzy like you'd expect from a major city, but it definitely had city vibes to it. 
Lots of street vendors who very much made me happy when they asked me if I wanted a big slop of fried onions. And of course, the answer is always yes. All my bratwurst. Um, and then we went shopping and bought some souvenirs. This was also our time to buy anything we thought we might need for the next leg of our adventure. Because from here, we would be driving about six and a half hours straight to get to Paris through the French and Germanic countryside. We didn't do a whole lot of stuff in between, but what we did, I'll get to in a moment. But this was our time to enjoy the city for a day, learn from the locals about what it's like to be German and also a German learning English. We got to go on a gondola ride in the upper part of Freiburg, which was really cool because I'd never done that. And honestly, a lot of people there were terrified, but there were at least five steel cables holding uh, my gondola boat up in the sky, so I wasn't terribly worried. It was on the steps leading up to the gondola. I met some American-looking Germans, and by that I mean Germans that were wearing flags and talking about soccer, not football, soccer, and being very into American culture. And I was very confused until the tour guides, the both 10 or 11 years of age, told me, yeah, so a lot of Germans really, really look up to Americans. Uh, and that was the first time it came to me. And it was put in perspective that America has a very large monopoly on most of the entertainment industry. And most media that most Europeans and Africans and Asians consume is heavily, heavily influenced directly by America and our dominance on GDP worldwide. So... It then made sense to me why a lot of food was very similar. It then made sense to me why there were so many advertisements for American brands and children wearing American clothes and talking about American sports teams. It was very humbling, especially to see those in my tour group starting to talk to these young children, der Jungen, uh, about American stuff. And they, they held their own in English. It was very, very cool to witness. And something that I definitely will never forget. So the communication barrier actually wasn't that difficult until you found words in between to discuss what you meant and talk about what you meant and understand each other's worlds from maybe a different light or a different perspective. And so our time in Germany was slowly coming to a close. We had seen and done as much as we possibly could and for those of us that were introverted like myself, journaling only gets you so far until you realize that you have severely exhausted your battery and you are on information overload, which is perfect because we got to use the rest of the next day traveling through Germany and France. We woke up at eight o'clock, had a good hearty breakfast with the people at the gymnasium again before heading back towards Charles de Gaulle Airport and its surrounding area. So we had six and a half hours of driving, which ended up being about nine hours with lunch break and rest breaks, stopping at a nice smorgasbord once again to have some noodles and pasta and meats and fish and whatnot. And that more or less carried us through till the next leg of our adventure where we were in Paris or soon to be in Paris. Now, it pains me to say that I do not remember too much more about Germany because there wasn't too much that was 
starkly different from what I'm used to in my very American experience to that point in my life. And I don't mean that in a bad way in the slightest. It's just peculiar to me because it felt so much like home, even though I couldn't understand the language at all at that point in time. The people, the food, the culture, the way of life, and the pace of life, everything seemed in the Black Forest to be just like it was during my somewhat Pennsylvania Dutch upbringing. Amish? No. Pennsylvania Dutch? Absolutely. We say worsh and water and crick. That's about as PA Dutch as it gets for a lot of people, obviously, so there you go. So, that being said, when I catch you all again, we will be talking about the trip between Germany and France, my first impressions of France, and what we saw along the way. The results may be shocking. And until then, ponder my words, and I add my nurturing and beautiful silence.